Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 49 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to briefly share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. And my only goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of servant leadership and honoring God. Because what I know to be true and what will come through the stories each week is that when you do that, when you honor God with servant leadership, blessings will just follow from that as a byproduct of that service. Because regardless of your profession, all of us are ministers because we are each given unique gifts by God such that when we see a need in the world around us, it is our obligation, our responsibility to fill that need to the best of our ability because serving is for every person in every walk of life. And we have seen that demonstrated every single week in people from all different walks of life, in the military, business, faith leaders, community leaders, and even people that just want to do something as simple as serving their family. And last week, if you missed it, in episode 48, I had the great privilege of having on the show Lieutenant Colonel Charlie Wilson and Cadet Joe Lappinson. So these two men are deeply involved with the ROTC program at Drexel University, and both of them are involved in their community, but also clearly involved with the military. And their heart for servant leadership, their heart for the country, for the people around them, is to me just truly inspiring. So if you have not heard their story, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 48. But for today, just a little bit about me that's relevant for today's show. I have a unique opportunity to serve as a board member for a PAC, a political action committee called Taking the Hill. Now this is an organization that is focused solely on helping veterans get elected to political office. And through that role, I get to meet a lot of really interesting veterans that have the same mindset, that really want to do something for their country. In addition to their military service, these people have moved on, they're now veterans, and they're still engaged in this idea of servant leadership. And so at an event a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to meet a gentleman named Mr. George Tuning. George and I had corresponded a bit in the past over email on different topics, but getting to meet George face-to-face and really hear his story, I was so compelled to just invite him onto the program today so he could share with you a little bit about his story. I really think you're going to enjoy it. Mr. George Churning is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and a former infantry officer. He's a former legislative director for a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., He's also a former White House Presidential Innovation Fellow and currently serves as the Deputy Director of the Beak Center for Social Impact and Innovation at Georgetown University. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. George Tuning. Stay with us. We'll be right back. But we want to see the heart set free and the tyrants kneel. 
listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and today I'm joined by Mr. George Tuning. George, first of all, thank you so very much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to be on the program here with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, George, you and I had an opportunity to speak a number of times over the past couple of years on different issues, but we really had a good opportunity to connect a few weeks ago when we were at the veterans event. And I think it would be a great place to start off with by talking about the commonality we share of military service. So would you share with our listeners, you know, why you joined the military, especially my beloved army? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I discovered the military world pretty early on. Um, I did uh, JRTC in high school um, and kind of on a whim, I was picking classes for high school, you know, graduating middle school. And um, I saw there was the typical PE and home ec and, and those that really appealed to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I saw this acronym that I didn't know what it was. It was JRTC. And I, I picked that and showed up the first day and, and kind of fell in love with the, the culture and the friends I made and the teammates I had, um, you know, that's really where I found my place in high school. And that's where I, I enjoyed being and where I really thrived. Uh, and so I wanted to stay in that community. And um, for me, the, the army was a no brainer, um, you know, be around people and, and help people succeed uh, in their own ways. And, and um, so certainly a good choice for me. And, if I uh, understand correctly, you went West Point, not ROTC. So if you said you had a good time with Jay Rotsi, why did you choose West Point and not a Rotsi program at a college? Great question. Um, you know, I, I told my mom that I wanted to join the army and she was, of course, pretty apprehensive. You know, we were, um, you know, at that time fighting in two different places. And uh, so she was really worried and, and told me that, you know, she would you know, give her blessing for me to join the military if I went to the best college that I could get into. Okay. Um, and fortunately that was West Point. All right. So were there other schools that you were interested in or do you just feel like meeting your mother's criteria, West Point was like the elite, the best school you could go to? It was. Yep. I, I looked at the other service academies as well, but um, kind of fell in love with West Point when I had the opportunity to go visit. Okay. And when did you graduate? What year group were you? I graduated West Point in 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. And how long did you serve in our army? So for five years, um, I was an infantry officer. So, you know, kind of, again, that same theme, wanting to just be around people and, and um, you know, really help others get where they want to go. Um, so served for five years, including a tour in Afghanistan um, in 2013, returned from that and, and decided, you know, maybe it was try to, time to try something else. Okay. So you mentioned the infantry out of all the branches that our army offers. Why that one? I mean, I, I never was in the infantry, but I always, you know, observe the infantry to be kind of the ground pounders, the guys that are going out there and doing the really hard work and things of that nature. So you went to West Point, the elite school. Why the infantry? Yeah. You know, it was, 
you know, even though I went to West Point and got a fantastic education, I still never saw myself as that much of a technical person. Okay. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't on the path to go be a doctor or a pilot um, or, you know, somebody that had to do a lot of math to figure out how to do their job. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the infantry made sense and it's, it's the kind of people I wanted to be around. It was, um, you know, it's, it still is predominantly people that, that join with a very specific um, goal in mind of how mm-hmm. they want to serve. And, and those are the people that I wanted to be around. Now, as part of the infantry, did you get to go to hardcore schools like Ranger and Airborne and da da da? Yeah, the 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 normal compliment. I didn't do anything crazy for sure. Um, was a pretty much a run of the mill infantry officer. Um, you know, it, it's it's strange to think back on now, but while I was going through that training, you know, I, I was very apprehensive that I had to get to my unit as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, because at that time, in my mind, at least, you know, the the conflicts were almost over. Right. Um, and, you know, I joined in a time of conflict and, and that's what I wanted to be a part of. And um, so I was actually nervous that I was going to miss it, um, which is looking back, you know, the, the gift of, of age, um, looking back, that was that was kind of silly. But uh, that's how I thought at the time. OK, so let's talk about that for a minute. You were just mentioning you went to a number of different schools and you were apprehensive about not wanting to stay in those schools. What would you say? is the greatest thing that maybe you learned during your time in the infantry or maybe an IOBC or airborne, whatever it is, you know, what do you think that the arming really imparted to you in terms of the way you wanted to live your life and servant leadership and all those different things? What was the nugget that you got from that experience? I think the biggest thing I learned was that everybody has a role to play. Mm -hmm. You know, even people that their name will never be on the org chart or in the chain of command or, you know, anywhere on a PowerPoint slide. Um, but knowing that those people are still essential to accomplishing the mission. Um, you know, I think particularly in the infantry, um, you know, a lot of people with pretty standard jobs, but they all can make a huge difference in, in the time of crisis or the heat of the moment. Um, and that's something I've certainly carried with me, you know, no matter what team you're on or meeting you're in, everybody there has a role to play. And um, I think as a leader, it's two parts, you know, one recognizing that and and viewing them as essential and two Mm -hmm. making sure that those people know that they're essential and part of a team. Um, I think it's easy to to gloss over people that don't have fancy titles or, um, you know, specific role in that moment, but, but really everybody um, is needed and, and you need to engage with everybody to get the job done. You know, I, I love that response, George, because in the beginning of each show that I do, I talk about this idea that everybody is a minister of some kind because everybody is given very special gifts, right? All of us have different giftings that are given to us by God. And, you know, in scripture, and I think it's in Corinthians 12, it talks about we're the body of Christ, right? Like all different parts. And a pinky toe is no more or less valuable than an arm, right? Because if you lose your pinky, well, now all of a sudden when you can't walk properly and, oh my gosh, my pinky, that, 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 right? So all parts of the body, regardless of what their function is, are equally important. And I, I love how you're talking about, you know, the grunt, the guy that's in the infantry, that's going out and doing the hard work. What happens to our army if we don't have those infantrymen on the front line? What happens if you don't have the guys that are going out and doing recon and all the really difficult, dangerous physically laborious tasks that are in the infantry. You know, what happens if you don't have people that say, no, this is where I really feel called. This is my gifting, 
right? But you just took away a big chunk of what our army does. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And it, like I said, it's easy to, to overlook some people, but um, yeah, they really are the backbone of whatever you're trying to do for sure. So you spent quite a bit of time in the army and you mentioned that you went to Afghanistan. So with the nugget that you just talked about, everybody has a role to play. How did that apply when you went to Afghanistan? What role did you play and how did you see other people playing their role? It's a great question. Um, you know, my role at the time I was a executive officer. So, um, the number two in command of a company, but, uh, primarily focused on making sure every piece of the company had everything it needed to accomplish their mission. Right. Um, everything from fuel and water to ammunition to, um, you know, repairs for the equipment we had. Um, and then, you know, really playing a bigger role in, in planning our, our missions and, and when we went out and, and engaged with um, the countryside. So um, I wore a lot of hats and it was great because I got to learn a lot of pieces of, of how the Army works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that one step up from your first job in the Army where you're just leading people. And and um, this was one step up where you, you see the bigger picture uh, in a lot of ways. So it was a great learning experience for me um, and really how I, you know, helped other people and, and really enabled them to do their job was just trying to remove as many barriers from their day-to-day work as I could. Um, you know, in, in the army, like most organizations, like a really good leader, um, it's sometimes hard to notice, right? Your, your job just becomes a little bit easier. Uh, you don't have to worry about things you're used to, but um you know, a lot of times it's not the flashy, oh, you know, this person had a huge impact and here's yeah. how it's, it's really under the surface, um, the, the, the influence you're having. Wow. So how long were you in Afghanistan for? Refresh my memory. Um, nine, a little over nine months. Nine months. So with the nine months in Afghanistan and the entire time that you were in the army, what would you say is the greatest blessing that you have gotten from that experience? You know, Maybe it was a certain moment or just something of how it impacted your life. But, you know, what, what would you say that was the blessing you received from God with your time in the military? I think it was getting to meet so many incredible people. Um, and I know that's a pretty standard answer for a lot of people that joined the military. But, um, you know, I grew up in South Carolina and, and Florida um, in, in pretty small communities. And that that's was my exposure to the country was just, you know, where I grew up and where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the army gave me the opportunity to one, you know, travel the world, but two, um, interact with people from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really realizing, you know, even though we come from different States or different backgrounds that, uh, we, we have a lot of similarities. And, and so I think the greatest blessing there was just to, to experience that and learn that. And I've certainly carried that with me. So you're definitely not an introvert then. <laughs> definitely people centric. I love it. Yeah. Hard to be an introvert um, when you're <laughs> surrounded by 40 other people in the, the cold and the snow and the marsh. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forwarding a little bit after the army, if I understand your background correctly, you went on to a nonprofit. So what was the role you held there? What was the nonprofit? Like, what was that about? And how did you make that transition from the army to a nonprofit? Was that, again, more of this wanting to be around people focus? 
it was pretty serendipitous to be honest. Um, as I was leaving the military, I, I knew, well, I knew I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. Um, so I decided to go to grad school in Washington, DC. Uh, and as I told my friends and announced kind of my plans, um, my good friend from the army approached me and said, Hey, my brother is launching this nonprofit. Um, he would really appreciate your help in, in DC to do some of that work. Uh, are you interested? And, you know, before I even knew what it was, I said, of course, mm-hmm. happy to help, you know, I'll be there. I'll have some free time. Um, so ultimately joined the nonprofit. It was the, um, global war on terror Memorial foundation. Um, I joined as a legislative director. Um, so ultimately the organization's goal is to build a monument for our generation's conflicts, wow. um, in Washington, DC. Uh, so similar to the Vietnam generation, the, mm-hmm. the Korean generation, they have their monuments and memorials. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt that our generation uh, should have one as well, and, you know, as a place in the nation's capital for veterans and military families and everybody connected with the, the conflicts that come in and um, really have a place to, to heal and reflect uh, and, and continue to have those strong bonds with each other. So, what made you want to go into that? Was that the people focus or you just feel like then the cause is really important? Certainly the cause, you know, I, you know, I don't think anybody leaves the military, particularly, you know, this generation without, um, you know, some things to, to need to reflect on and, and think about, you know, I don't think anybody escapes, um, un, unharmed. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so really the mission of, of building that physical space, you know, particularly now where, we're all in this virtual world, you know, how do you build that physical space where people can come together um, and, and, and get the healing that they may need? So George, looking back, I mean, I, I don't know you extraordinarily well, but just listening to your story, it really sounds like you've had a very strong core, a very strong focus in your life of, again, wanting to help others and important causes and serving your country and all things like that. It feels like there has been people that have really poured into you and shaped you and made you who you are. Is that an accurate statement? I'm, I'm just going to spitballing here. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think anybody gets to where they are without a substantial amount of help. Um, and yeah, I, I've had great mentors over my time, you know, great opportunities that that have come up um, from just kind of being open and, and you know, announcing what you're doing and how you're thinking. I, I think uh, it's a good way for, to learn about new opportunities and then be in a position where you can, yeah, you can join a team and, and help out. And how are you able to give that back today? You know, are you able to mentor others and kind of, you know, pay it forward, so to speak for the next generation? Yeah, I, I certainly make an effort. You know, I think we can all be better teachers and, and mentors. Um, but, I, you know, I'm actively involved in some other veteran service organizations to do career mentoring and transition assistance, um, you know, trying to, to help that next group that's, that's coming out. Um, because, like I said, I still remember not having any idea of how I was going to find work or be successful. Uh, and so trying to um, ultimately give people the, the confidence that, hey, you will figure it out. You know, um, yeah. uh, I, I think that's really important. Awesome. Well, George, I am really enjoying the conversation. We're going to just take a quick pause for a commercial. But when we come back from the break, I'm going to continue the conversation with Mr. George Tuning. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and today I'm joined by Mr. George Tuning. So, George, again, thank you for being on the program. Really enjoyed the first half where we're talking about the military and the nonprofit that you have served in, but you've also done some really other interesting things. So this idea of a presidential innovation fellow, I haven't met anybody else besides you um, and one other guy that I worked for 20 years ago that had an opportunity to serve as a White House fellow. So can you tell me a little bit about how you were selected for the program, how you even heard about it and what you learned from being in that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it certainly been a great honor. Um, so after grad school and the nonprofit work, uh, I had the opportunity to move to the West Coast and, and work in the, the tech industry for a little bit. Um, and that was my first exposure to um, the tech world and, and um, a lot of those skills that I obviously didn't transfer over from the military. Um, so, I, you know, I learned all the, the buzzwords and, and how some of these complex um, computer systems work, uh, how we think about using artificial intelligence in certain circumstances. Um, so certainly learned a lot and, and gleaned a lot of expertise. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it was a, a for-profit company. It was meeting after meeting about how we make or save money. Um, and we weren't really talking about people. And I, I realized, you know, probably later than I should, that I need to get back to the conversations about people and the conversations mm -hmm. about mission. Um, and so on my commute to work one morning in, in California, I opened up a newsletter and I learned about this Presidential Innovation Fellowship, um, which is a program that attracts, you know, private sector people that have some talent in particular areas to come into government and help government agencies and offices innovate, modernize, um, you know, bring that private sector um talent and idea pool into the government and, and see how we can better serve the American people. Um, so I read that quick description. I said, I, I kind of have to do this. Yeah. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to get picked up for an interview and uh, also fortunate that I interviewed with the department of veterans affairs uh, to join that team. Um, and that was a no brainer for me, you know, as a, as a vet, I figured if I can help the VA do anything, I would, I would love to, um, scrub in. So, um, immediately accepted and moved back to DC to, to join the VA. Scrub in. I, that's a very interesting choice of words. So, you know, when I think of scrub in, you know, I automatically think of a doctor and, you know, getting down and dirty with operating. And, you know, I don't know if that's what you're trying to communicate, but I, I definitely get the perspective that, you know, you wanted to get your hands dirty and really, help people, help veterans make a difference. Am I reading that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. Scrub any of the medical sense or just roll up my sleeves um, and see how I can help. Yeah. Wow. So how long did you do that program for? Was it one year or more? 
Uh, so it was, I, I went in knowing that it was a fellowship. So it was time limited. Um, I told myself I was going to do a year, um, see how much impact I can have in a year, how much, you know, I can move something forward. Um, I was about four months into it when, um, the world shut down for the COVID-19 pandemic, mm-hmm. um, government went hundred percent virtual, mm-hmm. um, things kind of slowed down, right. you know, it's hard to be an innovator and a big thinker when you're on a virtual call with a hundred people and you're trying to get a couple words in. Right. Um, so it was a challenge and, and I, I didn't feel like I was moving at the pace that I wanted to. And I, I didn't feel like I was helping as much as I, I could have. Um, so I decided to stay on. Um, and I actually just finished up the fellowship and I, I had done about two and a half years. Wow. Two and a half years. Yeah, okay, government so, has a, a way of <laughs> sucking you in and, and keeping you as long as they can. Yeah. yeah, I know that story all too well. Yeah. So two and a half years, how much interaction did you have with the White House or maybe the director of the VA? Um, White House quite a bit in the during the the kind of the beginning of um, COVID-19. Um, I was pulled into a task force um, to help. Uh, really triage a lot of digital solutions that came in. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously at that time, you know, across the board, everybody wanted to help government. You know, how do we, how do we do this right? Um, And so the White House was kind of inundated with a lot of private sector ideas and tools and products. Um, You know, some people trying to sell stuff, but uh, mainly people trying to help like, Hey, take this for free. You know, we'll talk about money later. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I joined a task force to to help look at those and and find out which ones could actually be helpful and which uh, which ones might slow down the response. Um, so in that time, you know, a pretty healthy interaction um, with some White House teams. Um, but then, you know, as we kind of settled in um, to the, the the pandemic, switched back over to VA um, to really help support you know veterans that that needed care and they were having trouble, of course getting care, uh, either in person or virtually. So I'm curious in the two and a half years, was there any additional nuggets that you took away from that experience? I mean, clearly you learned a lot from being in the military and then more when you served in the nonprofit, but now this is a whole new landscape of different experiences. Was there another nugget of what you're able to glean in terms of a life experience, serving others, things of that nature? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to be honest. I, so as I said, I was brought in to be this private sector innovator and this, this person with all the ideas and Mm -hmm. all the solutions. Um, but you know, quickly after I got there, I realized like I wasn't the one with the ideas, the ideas are already here and and talents already here. Um, there's some phenomenal people working at the VA and, and in the government at large. Um, but a lot of them have been kind of held back by the the typical bureaucracy and the, uh, poor communication and how do you surface these ideas? Um, and so once I learned that, I, I kind of adjusted my my thinking and my approach of, hey, I'm not the one in the meeting saying, I have this great idea, let's do this. It's, hey, I heard about this great idea in your own team. Mm. Um, let's bring this person to this meeting and let's talk wow. about this. Um, and so what I really you know learned from that and gleaned from that is that you know the ideas are there, the, the, the people that want to do good work they're there. They're in the organization already. You just have to find ways to, to identify them and, and use kind of my fancy title and my position to elevate that up. 
um, and, and really enable them to, to continue doing the great work that they've been doing and thinking about for potentially years. Wow. I really find it amazing how much you are focused on this idea of other people and looking at their unique giftings and what other people have to offer. I mean, that, that's a very humble attitude that you don't see or hear from a lot of people, George. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, you know, I've never really thought about it as different than others. I think, um, you know, once you've met people from all over and been around so many people for so long, um, it, it's hard not to notice the, the value that everybody brings. Yeah. Amen. So let me ask you this. Did you have any opportunity to interact with veterans while you were there or was it all just fellows getting together and, you know, talking about ideas, as you mentioned? That's a good question. You know, I, one of my regrets is that I didn't get to interact with more veterans more often. Um, yeah, I think it was easier um, when we were in person, you know, I was able to go to a, a VA clinic and, and meet people on the ground. Um, maybe not patients in that respect, but um, certainly, you know, practitioners on the ground mm-hmm. um, providing that care. Um, over the course of my time, you know, we, I, I helped host um, design and research sessions with veterans. So getting people on a call, showing them a digital product or, or something we were building and trying to get their feedback or even just trying to watch them navigate, um, you know, the VA website, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, how do we make this more accessible for, for more people? Mm-hmm. Um, so those conversations participated in, uh, pretty frequently, but, um, I really wish I was able to, to talk to more veterans, particularly about their views of the VA and, and how they feel we can improve, um, you know, as I said, the, 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 the good ideas are out there, right? Yeah. And I'm sure veterans have fantastic ideas of how to better their own care and their own service. Um, and so, you know, if I think, if I come back to VA or if I could do it again, um, I would certainly make that a, a priority. And of the time that you spent there, two and a half years, you said, what would you say is the best part of that experience? I mean, I don't know if you got to meet the president or anything like that. What, what is the thing that stands out the most of, wow, I can't believe I got to do that? Hmm. So it's, I certainly didn't meet um, any presidents. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I was high enough for that that honor. Um, that's a really good question. You know, I met some incredible people that um, will never, you know, make the front page as as doing something fantastic. You know, they're they're the the people in the the belly of the beast. Mm-hmm. That, you know, doing the really good work. Um, so I was fortunate to, to meet a lot of them. Um, and I, I think just, you know, as fellows, we kind of talk, you know, you don't come in, launch this great new idea, kind of ship it out the door and it now lives forever. And right. it's, you know, you can claim that as your big, big win. Um, you really just kind of join, move the ball forward a little bit, and then your time is up. So, um, you know, even though it's, it's hard to see from the outside, just knowing that, I did help move that ball a little yeah. bit. And, and I know when I come back to, to VA or government that I'll be able to look in again and see the ball even further down the field. Right. Yeah. Um, that's great. I think that's the most powerful part. So you just finished recently. So let's fast forward just a little bit again. And now you're doing work with social impact. So how did the role as a fellow prepare you for that or maybe propel you into that? And what are you presently doing in your current role? 
Yeah. So I recently joined the Beck Center for Social Impact and Innovation. Um, it's a organization with kind of under the Georgetown University umbrella, um, really focused on that social impact and, and ultimately um, improving systems that we rely on, you know, for everyday needs and services. So uh, whether those are federal government systems, state and local government systems, um, or, you know, maybe in a nonprofit world, different mm -hmm. systems we rely on. Um, and so for me, it was a pretty easy transition so far. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about these things in the government and then being able to kind of take that step back and say, you know, let me look at it from a different perspective or a different lens and, yeah. and really approach it from uh, a different angle instead of just being in, in the government. So um, certainly enjoying it so far. I just, yeah, finished my second week. Um, and ultimately I'll be, um, enabling a lot of the different team members and a lot of the really smart people that we have at the center, um, to really do their research and their, their thinking and their engagement and, and ultimately, um, being able to communicate these, these great, um, ideas and improvements that we have. So you said that, uh, the organization where you're at, it has the word social impact in there. So what, what does social impact mean to you? Like, what are you hoping to achieve or accomplish as part of what you're doing now? I think in my words, it means making people's lives easier. Um, yeah. You know, when we talk about systems, which is a kind of a technical word, but, you know, brass tax, what we're really talking about is, is people applying for unemployment insurance. Right. Um, people applying for other benefits that they're entitled to, you know, how do we make that easier? Um, similar to, to VA, you know, these right. are, these are things that are earned and, and paid for already up front. You know, right. how do we make sure that people get them and, and they don't have to worry about it. You know, they don't have to stand in line to reapply for something every year. They don't right. have to um, click through, a, you know, 300 questions to get um, what they're entitled to. So, um, for me, that's what social impact is. It's just making pe people's lives easier so they can focus on work and family and, and everything else that they want to do with their lives. Amen. So George, we've got about a minute left and you know, you have done so much with your life and your career thus far, white house fellow, military service, all these different things. What advice would you give to somebody that maybe is thinking about getting out or just recently got out and they're thinking to themselves, what next? I want to do something meaningful with my life and I want to make a mark in the world, but they're not quite sure what that is. What advice would you give to somebody that just wants to make a social impact and make their mark on the world? Move the balls, you said. Sure. Um, you know, I, this is something I, I tell some of the veterans that I, that I help mentor, um, you know, really keep an open mind when you're approaching new opportunities. You know, I don't think anybody knows exactly what they want to do next mm -hmm. and they know the path forward. You know, some people do and it's great, but I think it's rare. Um, you know, when I mentor veterans looking for jobs out of the military, you know, one of the things I always say is uh, never turn down a job you haven't been offered. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is don't read something or look at something and immediately dismiss it and say, that's not a good fit for me or I could never do that. I'm not, I don't have the skills for that. Um, they're looking for somebody else. That's not me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really encourage people not to think like that and to really approach something and say, that sounds interesting. Let me have that conversation or let me um, go ahead and, and pursue that. Mm -hmm. um, and on the flip side, you know, having the, the, the confidence that, yeah, you're going to get told no a lot, even volunteering. Um, 
the amount of times that I was willing to work at something for free. Um, and people would either never get back to me or just say, you know, a polite no. Yeah. Um, but having the confidence that after all those no's, you will find that yes. Right. Um, that'll lead you down a path that, that you want to go. George, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your heart, sharing your story and the words of wisdom that you really imparted to the listeners. It has been such a privilege to have you on the program here today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. And thank you everything you do for veterans and their families and, and everybody else you interact with. Thanks, George. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard today from Mr. George Tuning. So stay with us. We'll be right back. My God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Roaring like a lion. God's not dead. Surely alive. He's living on the inside. Roaring like a lion. Let hope rise and make the darkness high. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, let's just briefly think about what we've heard from today's guest, Mr. George Schooning. This man had so much to offer, so many really great nuggets. And I want to go over just a few of them to really hone in on some of the great concepts he had. So if there was one common thread in George's life and the things that he shared, it's that everybody has a role to play. And he talked about this idea of recognizing it in yourself and recognizing it in others and calling that out in other people. And he even went so far as to say that in one of his jobs, uh, when he was doing the fellowship, he felt like people were being held back and the ideas were already there and instead of taking the credit for ideas he said no 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 this idea was already in your team and he put the focus on other people the limelight was not about you know hey i'm george and i'm a white house fellow and i've got this a great idea and look at me it was hey i'm just here to serve and i'm listening to the people that are on the team i'm listening to the veterans and there's some really great ideas and so let's talk about this. So he used his position to really bolster and help other people. And how many of us are really doing that? Or are we putting the spotlight on ourselves where it really doesn't belong? Something else George talked about, you know, he said that when he was in Afghanistan and his primary focus there was removing barriers, right? So that is definitely a form of servant leadership. When I teach classes, you know, I let my students know, hey, I'm here to work for you, right? So I'm the professor and it's my job to serve you. I want to remove barriers. I want to help you be successful in class. So is that something that you can work on in your own life? What are you doing to remove barriers for people in your family, for people in your community, for people in your faith group? How can you help other people be the best version of themselves. And something else I thought was really compelling when George was talking about the nonprofit and this idea of building a monument for people in my generation on the global war on terror. Again, it's focusing on people and the mission, 
right? And so not only is George calling out the best in other people, he's literally memorializing it, right? And he put a lot of time and effort and years of his life into focusing on bringing out the best in other people. A generation served in the global war on terror, and we want to draw that out to the attention of the entire country for decades, hundreds of years to come, so that when people go to Washington, D.C., they don't just learn about the Vietnam veterans or Korean War veterans or World War II veterans, but they also learn about people in this generation that fought in the global war on terror. So what can you do today? What can each of us do in our own lives to really make a big deal about something that somebody has done? Can you give them a plaque? Can you do some kind of small gesture to memorialize what somebody has done? When somebody leaves your organization, don't be afraid to give them a small plaque, something that says, we appreciate the service you have done. Clearly, it might not be a monument in tribute to a war effort, but each person makes a contribution. So what can you do to honor that contribution of every person that you come in contact with? And then something else that I really thought was uh, compelling and interesting that George was speaking about, this idea of scrubbing in. And he and I talked about that a little bit. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And I don't think any of us should be. Because even Jesus Christ, when he was washing the feet of the apostles, right? That is a great form of servant leadership. He literally got his hands dirty. He got a basin and some water and a towel, and he literally scrubbed in and started washing some feet. What can each of us do to wash the feet of somebody else, metaphorically? What can we do to get our hands dirty and get in the fight with somebody and really come alongside them, do the hard work to make a difference? And George used the words of, social impact is making lives easier. What can you do to make somebody's life easier? I remember when I met my mentor, my spiritual mentor, Pastor Phil Caparelli. It was at a surf project years and years ago. And it was going to uh, help an organization build a garden in their backyard area. And I knew nothing about gardening. I just knew that I wanted to go out and help serve. And so I got a shovel and, you know, a rake and all those things. And I'm kneeling down on the ground and just, you know, working with the dirt. And this pastor comes over to me and we just start talking. And it was in that moment that we made a connection. And all we wanted to do was make other people's lives easier. We wanted to make a beautiful garden area for them. And in that, came a tremendous blessing of a pastor and a friend and a mentor. So don't be afraid to get your hands dirty because, again, blessing comes when you are serving other people. And last thing I would just highlight is George's closing remark of having an open mind. Listen, the Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we might make plans and have all these ideas of what our lives should be like but God's ways are higher than our ways. And it's important that we stay open and be obedient to His will, right? God will always open the doors that we're supposed to walk through and close the doors that we're not. And so we have to have an open mind and really just follow the calling of God in our lives. Whatever He puts in your heart, 
that's the direction that we need to go. Each week, I talk to you about this idea of when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. Well, this week is no different. So, on March the 5th, was my uncle's 75th birthday. And my uncle has been a friend, a mentor, a second father to me for decades of my life. And about six years ago, we nearly lost my uncle to kidney disease. And all of us in the family were tested. I was the only one to be a perfect match for him. And so I was able to give the man a kidney and in doing so, save his life. And he's been with us for six more years since that time and he did not have a whole lot of time left because of the severity of the kidney disease. But I feel so blessed for every single day that I've had with him since then. The time together, the coffee, the mentorship, all these different things. Don't be afraid to do something for somebody else because it will come back to you. The blessings do come even just in having the company of another person, there is so much blessing in that. Because you never really appreciate how much a person means to you and your life until they're gone. Don't wait until a person's gone. Spend time with the people in your lives now while you can. Listen, next week, really excited about my next guest. Mr. James Corbett is gonna join us next week. He is the co-founder of an organization called Project Refit. He's also the co-founder of Impact and the founder of JC Innovative Solutions. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with him next week. But for now, I'm going to leave you with this. As you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week. I know the night won't come. I know the night won't last. Oh